Welcome to another episode of Couch Conversations with BWLPBC's Community Connectors. Couch Conversations is a place for community and leaders to get together to talk about what's on their minds. Have you ever wondered what people are really thinking when it comes to behavioral health and wellness? And is the community and those making decisions on the same page when it comes to solutions? That's what we're here to explore. Listen in as we connect community and Palm Beach County systems in an open conversation to help each other understand and explore behavioral health and wellness needs and solutions together. Good evening and welcome to the sixth edition of BWLPBC's Couch Conversation. We will begin with our introductions. Please tell us who you are, where you are in the county, and one word to describe how you are feeling tonight. We will start with the student couch. We will make our rounds to parent couch, the school district couch, and then our connectors. Let's start with the students. Tell us who you are, where you are from in the county, and one word to describe how you are feeling tonight. Hello, I'm Enzo, Enzo Braceno Robles. I live in um, Jupiter. And it's been a good day today, so. Thank you, Enzo. Hi, my name is Anderson Ranellis. I live in Lake Worth. Um, and I'm happy, so. Thank you. We'll move to the parent couch. Hi, I'm Blanca. I'm um, for middle school and high school. Um, I'm from Jupiter, Florida. Um, I have a good day today. <laughs> I feel good. Hi there. I'm Sarah Palmer. I am mum to two boys. One is at Emerald Cove and the other one's at Equestrian Trails. Um, both schools are in Wellington, Florida, and I'm very grateful to be part of this discussion. Welcome. Hello, my name is Luz. I am parents to a kindergartner and second grader at Pahokee Elementary School, and I am from Pahokee, Florida, and I am feel delighted to be here today with you all. Welcome. Hi, I'm Cheryl. I'm a mom of six. I have a um, 12th grader. I have a 7th grader. I have a fourth grader and I have a first grader. I also have two twins. Um, I'm from Rivera Beach and I have to say my day has been crazy today. Welcome. Now we'll move to our school district couch. Good evening, Keith Oswald uh, with the School District Chief of Equity and Wellness, representing all the schools housed in West Palm Beach, but work with all the schools from Bohokee to Rivera Beach to Wellington to Boca. So happy to be here. Awesome. I'm um, Dr. Mary Claire Musenic. I am the Director of Behavioral and Mental Health. Uh, I also um, work all over the school district in all the different areas and regions and schools. I have staff everywhere, and I'm really happy to be here with you all tonight as well. So thank you. Awesome. Good evening, everyone. My name is Kevin McCormick. I'm the Director of Exceptional Student Education here in Palm Beach County. Um, uh, also responsible for special education, exceptional student education in all schools, uh, public, charter, 
And we even provide service in non-for-profit private schools. I feel courageous. This is the first time I've done a live stream. So thank you. Awesome. Welcome again, everyone. And we ask that one person holds the mic at a time. And to get us started with tonight's conversation, I will ask the question to all three couches. It may not go that way. I'm going to start with the school district. And again, it may not fall in that order, but it's okay. All right. So no one feel, you know, just get a little relaxed, take a deep breath and just breathe. If you have any questions, you can raise your hand or you can drop something in the chat box. To our listening audience out there on social media, we have someone monitoring that chat. Please ask your questions. Now, before we get started to our couches here, are there any questions before we get started? Yes. Go ahead. Christian, Rosa, can you introduce yourself? Oh, <laughs> yes. We forgot all about that. I was getting excited. Go ahead. Well, I'm Rose Newbold. Um, I'm one of the community connectors, and I'll pass it around, and then we'll, we'll get started. I'll let the ladies go first. I am Rosa White, Be Well Community Connector from Boynton, and I am feeling very excited to be here tonight. All right, I'm TK Carsarpin, and I'm from Delray Beach, Florida, and I'm also a Community Connector, and I would, my word would be inspired. Inspired. I am Christian Sannon, located in West Palm Beach, Florida. I'm also a community connector, and I would like to say courageous as well, like Kevin said. <laughs> All right. So thank you, TK, for getting me in check because I need that at times. Okay, so let's get started with the school district uh, tonight. And again, questions may not fall the way that they are. We're just having good, authentic, raw conversation. So first question to the district is, what's happening now in the school district due to COVID? Will we go back to having the option of virtual schooling? And what is being done to fill those open positions that we have? I, I believe there's over 200. And anyone from the school district couch or any couch can answer as far as where, where the question is directed. So this here is to the school district. What's happening now in the school district due to COVID? Will we go back to having the option of virtual schooling and what is being done to fill open positions? I guess I'll open it up, Rose, if that's okay. So. Um, COVID um, is definitely playing a toll in our schools. We have many, many cases, uh, positive COVID cases, both employees and students. Uh, and unfortunately, that's uh, having a big impact on how many students uh, have to go home uh, from uh, stay-home directives for a number of days, as well as the positive students that are missing out on school time. There are options where students are getting their work daily and opportunities to get support at the end of the school day by teachers uh, to address that. Um, with COVID, we do know that there was a lot of learning loss that occurred last school year. We saw big dips in uh, our student achievement. So we've got a lot of makeup work to do. And with that came a lot of new positions we added with uh, the American Rescue Funds that we got from the federal level. So we added close to 400 positions um, in our schools to help address those learning issues. And I'll, I'll turn to my colleagues if you want to add anything. I actually do want to uh, jump in, Keith, because um, along with those 200 additional positions, we are in critical need of service providers. 
So if you're a speech and language pathologist out there, if you're teachers, paraprofessionals, bus drivers, aides, like we, uh, we have plenty of positions available to act, join the team, do what's best for kids, uh, and, and really uh, make this year the best we possibly can for everybody involved. And Kevin, how do they apply for those positions? Uh, you can go right on the website and there's a apply for job tab and you would go right in there and, and through HR. Um, but uh, it's a pretty streamlined process. You can do it all online and, and there's plenty of support and resources available through our HR department to be able to assist you in getting through that process. So maybe trying to figure out which job is right for you. Awesome. To our student couch, I would ask you a question, being that the school year just opened and all that type of stuff. What are some concerns that you have as far as going to school at this time? Um, for me, um, it's really just whether I'm going to be um, healthy and be able to continue my learning. Um, because with the virus and everything, um, for me, it's just they don't have an online option at my school. So if I were to get sick, then how would I continue to learn when I go home? And like, that's my biggest concern at the moment um, because I am a senior and I want my credits and I want to graduate. So yeah, if I'm not learning at home, then how am I going to be able to come back and be able to take a test or be able to keep up with my class? And that puts a lot more work on me and that's more stress. So yeah. I just want to respond to Andersley real quick. Um, nothing beats being in person, learning with your teacher. Um, but if we're put, anybody is put in a situation where they need to be home, we have what's called an instructional continuity plan. Um, within your portal, there is a, a tile that would allow you to click on it, and that is able to get you lessons and videos and presentations uh, to make sure you're getting exposed to all the content that you should be while in school. Again, it doesn't replace even distance learning, which isn't available for us right now, but um, it would hopefully help you keep up with whatever content you're missing. So Kevin, I have a, um, I'm sorry, did you have something else to say? No, I was gonna ask a question too, but it was for Ander, how do you pronounce your name? Andersley. Andersley. Go ahead, Rosa. No, a follow-up question for Kevin. So I want to go back to the positions, what's being done to fill the positions. Are you offering any type of bonus referral pro um, programs or anything through the district? That's a good question. Mr. Oswald, do you know of any? We are working on uh, one for bus drivers. So we really need bus drivers. Um, I will have to look to see if it got posted yet, um, but we are looking at some sign-in bonuses for bus drivers. So you want to do a plug right now and say what that is? I don't want to get it wrong. And then someone, okay. next I'll have a lawsuit on my hand. <laughs> we have listeners, so somebody might be interested. I'm going to try to find it while we're talking and uh, give an update. But that's okay. to hear that Thank there you. is a need for um, bus drivers. Um, Andersley, when you, when Kevin was explaining to you about the um, I guess the additional instructions that you guys have available just in case you do get sick and again, it doesn't be in-person learning, but is that information that's communicated to you like in school? Did you hear about that from a teacher or from like administrators at your school? 
Um, I say that because um, something did come up and I did have to miss the first week and I tried to um, come to the school and let them know. Um, and they said that they weren't doing an online option and to just let the guidance counselor know and I would be excused. But like I said, when I came back, I missed like the syllabus week. To me, that's the most important week because you're being let known what you're what you're talking about in class, what you're going to be learning. Do I need to be in your class? Should I be switching out of your class? And um, yeah, so I didn't get that. I do go to a charter school, G-Star School of the Arts. So I'm not sure if it's the same thing, but yeah, I didn't, I wasn't able to go online or neither are we communicated that option. So. So, can I just, I want to clarify. So this, the governor, Andersley, uh, sunsetted the online option for school districts. So we're not able to do it um, like we did last school year. Um, so we're kind of in, in a tough situation. We are trying to encourage teachers to turn their cameras on. So if you do go home and you, you uh, get you know, a stay home directive because you might have been exposed to COVID, we're trying to get more teachers to turn their cameras on so you can still listen to the teacher teach um, while you're at home. Um, and we're also strongly uh, recommending, encouraging those uh, who feel it's right for them to get the vaccination students who are vaccinated um, and are exposed in school. Um, if you're of the age uh, and you have no symptoms, you don't have to go home. You stay right in class. So it's important to know I that. I do not know that. Wow. So um, I want to hear something from the parents right about now. Like after hearing all of that, what are your concerns as far as your kids? Because you have kids ranging from daycare all the way to high school. What are some of your concerns that you would like us to know tonight? Well, my concern is I understand the kids having their shots and everything. You know, that's good. But you can still spread COVID whether you have a shot or not. So I don't know how OK I am with knowing, oh, if you have COVID well, they're still in the class or they're still there. You know, I, I personally don't think I like that because, you know, you can still catch them and give it to somebody, whether you're vaccinated or not. Yeah. And the, the, those rules that we're working on came out from the Florida Department of Health through the Surgeon General's office um, in partnership with the Department of Education. But I, sure, and I, you're right, Cheryl, I've heard that from others as well. So parents out there in the listening audience are probably saying, wow, right about Nasty. Like, I mean, how is it that, you know, kids who probably have been diagnosed but showing no signs of COVID, are they able to be sitting in a classroom at this particular time? So are they diagnosed or are they exposed? So I, and how do you know they're exposed? So if, so if we hear about a positive case in a school, so either the Department of Health calls us and tells us or a parent calls us and tells us, we the principals quickly um, look at that student's schedule. That student goes home automatically. And then we look for everybody who was within six feet uh, for more than 15 minutes. Everybody's on that list, uh, goes home. And um, unless they had... Uh, they had, if they had COVID within the last 90 days, the rules from the Surgeon General, they can stay or if they've been vaccinated. Um, 
they go home. Now, after four days, if they have no symptoms, um, on the day five, they can get it. If they get a test and it's negative, they can come back um, or they have to sit out for um, at least seven days. If they have symptoms, that's a different story. Um, and, and the time frame will be longer. And if they're sitting out for seven days and not all the teachers are allowing them to come online, what is the process for them to make up for all this work they've lost? So we're providing their work each day through Google Classroom, like they did last school year. So kids are pretty familiar with Google Classroom. Anderson, you probably have Google Classroom in yours. So this, they're getting the, yeah, and Enzo, you probably have it too. So you'll get your schoolwork through, uh, through Google Classroom, trying to get more teachers. We are in negotiations with the teachers union to try to get that um, as a, a standard practice where teachers will turn their cameras on. Um, as well as there's times after school where teachers will sign on and work with kids who went home to help them uh, with their classwork. Mm -hmm. I have an, so, I'm sorry, I have another question. How do we, how do you know the kids are vaccinated? Are you just going by what the parents say? Or are you actually making them show that? They have to provide, been, they have to provide okay. documentation. Okay. And if they voluntarily tell us, because right now we don't have, we can't require um, obviously to have parents tell us, but if they voluntarily tell us. Okay. And show us the evidence. Students, to our students, um, with everything going on, how are you managing your academics as well? Enzo, Andersley. Um, I don't know if Enzo wants to talk. Oh, I will first. Um, yeah, you can go. Okay. Um, I've been pretty good on my grades. I transitioned to do enrollment, so that's given me a lot more time to deal with my grades. But it's been pretty lenient so far because the teachers have not like dove in like past years straight into material. They've let us have like this first week of getting to like know like all the protocols and stuff like that. And they're much more understanding also. Yeah, and I agree. To follow up that question, I do kind of want to pick apart just the socialization um, of being a student and this environment and everything. How has that been? I know you guys were probably really excited to get back to being able to see your friend and being able to be in the class environment. Um, how has it been? Um, for me, um, being in the classroom is what's ideal for me because it um, it ensures that I am paying attention and I have people to hold me accountable when I may drift off and um, like go off on a tangent in my own head. Um, for social, um, it is concerning when kids keep their masks off and I try to keep my distance. Um, like my parents tell me, they're always like, whenever I get out of the car, be careful. Um, because I do have family members at home that I care for that I don't want to get sick. Um, as well as myself, I don't like getting sick. So when I do see someone who doesn't want to follow the rules, I do try and keep my distance. It's not like um, bullying or anything. I would never do that. It's um, more like, um, I keep my distance um, 
but I do remember to include them and I have in different conversations and things like that. Yeah. Yeah, that's cool that you guys can um, get back to school. I know that socialization part is not something that just students had to go through, but teachers as well, um, parents as well. Um, and it's like you guys also like during, you know, last year and going into this year, you got exposed to different technologies, too, because like, were you guys even using Google Classroom before? You guys were using Google Classroom before? Yeah, like a few teachers would use it, but not all the teachers. It would be like one or two teachers out of your seven, six teachers that you had every year. Yeah, even parents like uh, Sarah or uh, how do you pronounce it? Is it loose? Yeah, did you guys get exposed to like Google Classroom for the first time or like did you use it before COVID? Um, we did use it, but I think it was interesting. So throughout 2020, um, and beginning of 2021, I had one child in bricks and mortar, and it was very clear that he needed to go back to school because he was extremely distracted and really didn't do any learning from home um, and did and has done so much better at school. And then my eldest, who went into seventh grade this year, he was really, he just didn't fancy being at school and he didn't want to wear a mask and he did very well at home. So I think it a lot of this really depends on your children, your own individuals. Some suit more of a virtual learning environment and others clearly don't. Um, but I have to say, I'm really relieved that both of my children now back at school. Yes, there are concerns with, with the surge. And, you know, we just pray that, that this is going to, you know, that our COVID numbers are going to recover quickly. But I just think we all have to, to be as careful and considerate as we can be. Um, and just try and move on. Um, not knowing how long this pandemic will last either. Um, but we just need to be sensible, sensible um, about keeping our distance, continuing to wash our hands, and currently wearing masks. The question is, do I want my children to wear masks in their gym class? No. So there are some things that you can't do as effectively. And I don't think you can be outside in the summer wearing a mask, running around. But it is what it is. And I think we just have to, as I said, take care and be considerate. I wanted to say something that I'm, I was very um, impressed with how the teachers quickly transitioned to the virtual in March or April, whenever spring break was in 2020, when you all went to spring break and then were told we weren't coming back. And so I thought it was really fast and swift the ways that the teachers implemented this plan because you know we when we go to school we practice like fire drills but we don't practice a uh, you're staying home pandemic and I'm going to teach you from home and I'm going to teach you from online so I was really grateful that the teachers were just you know from from the oldest of teachers to the youngest of teachers all trying to get their hands on these computers and and do their best for teaching our children so I was very grateful for that and um, my daughter who had to um, finish out that year online when we started back up in the fall and it was still an option, I was kind of hesitant. I didn't want her to go back, but the teacher called and said, you know, Luce, I really think your daughter will benefit. We are doing A, B, C, D, E to make sure that we are safe in class and cafeterias and bathrooms and hallways. And we're, we're doing everything that we can and please give us a try. And I am, thank God that she was able to finish out that year. She, we had no instance 
So I, I just want to say kudos to, to the teachers. Yeah. And I second that too. Uh, absolutely. I mean, you can obviously hear by my accent, I'm from um, England originally. So I've got family and a cousin, my son's cousin, um, went to school in the UK. And honestly, their school system fell apart for three months last year. Meanwhile, Palm Beach County School District kept it up. So I think we've done a brilliant, a phenomenal job. So I think everyone really does deserve a pat on the back. We we kept our schooling system going. Yes, some of the, you know, the assessments might have come down and but overall we kept the education going. And I just think that is wonderful. I'll agree with that. Right. I have a question for Dr. Mustenick. When uh, TK, you wanted to say something? I was just going to agree because my mom's a teacher. So it's like seeing her make that transition with technology where she normally used to like, hey, TK, can you help me with this? Help me with this. And it's like, no, you now you have to like really figure it out. And not just for you, but for your students as well. So it's like teachers really didn't take that step to keep this, the system going and keep everything going for the kids. Um, so yeah, definitely a pat on the back for the teachers because they're not only learning, but they're putting their lives at risk too. Like everyone is like putting themselves on the line to keep things running. So yeah. Teachers and parents. Parents have to learn some of that technology as well. <laughs> right. All right. Um, Dr. Mills, I'd like to add. Oh, go ahead. I'd like to add as well. Sarah said something that was very important. She said she paid attention to what her child needed and was able to facilitate that based upon their need. And I think that's very important as parents to kind of figure out what kind of setting that a child will succeed most in. So that was great. Can I just really quickly say thank you all for the shout outs for the school district? Because we don't get a lot of that anymore. Usually it's the complete opposite. So I'm going to tell that to everybody. Yeah, these teachers deserve all the credit. They did very well in pivoting and just, you know, like you said, TK, they figured it out for the benefit of their kids. It, it was very impressive. So what I want Dr. Musenick to um, explain, because I'm, I'm reading over the notes that she is the director of behavioral and mental health for the school district. So um, I'm seeing something that, you know, pertains to the IEP and the 504 or the 504, whatever it's called. You can explain all of that. But is there a spike as far as dealing with that mental health and behavioral health, especially through this time as far as COVID is concerned? Did you notice that? Did you see it? Are you taking any types of uh, polls or anything there may be, but mainly I want you to explain what is an IEP or 504 plan and how can we educate all of us, including parents, on how to navigate that plan? Okay, um, thank you for the question. Uh, that's a two-parter, so I'm going to address um, the, you know, how kids are feeling or, or my, my sense of what's going on in the schools. Uh, and I'm going to pass the second part off to uh, Kevin McCormick, who's our director of ESC. So he'll explain all that for you. But um, I think that we didn't see so much of um, an uptick in mental health issues, but more of a higher level of anxiety, like Anderson Lee was explaining. It's, a, it's like a tension, anxiety of, of the newness of the situation, the uncertainty of the situation. Uh, we, we have worked really hard with our uh, behavioral and mental health professionals that serve our, our students uh, to make sure that they're prepared to provide the appropriate support when students are back on campus like they are now. But also, we worked really hard um, when we when we went to remote work uh, 
when we went to remote learning because we pivoted the mental health services as well to teletherapy. And we did a lot of coaching and we had a Google classrooms for SEL activities and mindfulness. And there was a whole, a whole menu of, of activities for students. So uh, there hasn't been necessarily um, more students seeking support quite yet because we're just starting back into um, the school year, but we're ready for them. Uh, you know, it's important for parents to know that we have highly qualified and skilled professionals on every campus that can support students in a variety of different ways from individual counseling to, to groups, to just uh, some supportive conversations. Uh, and what they need to do is go into their front office and, and connect there and ask what's available on campuses. And if they're, if they need any additional um, information, they're, they're free to call me and my department and, and we'll get them set up. And then the IEP and the, and the 504, I was an ESE director in, in, in my past life, but uh, I'm going to pass that on to, uh, to Kevin. Thank you, Mary Claire. I appreciate it. And, and in her past life, we worked closely together as well as uh, she was in a county just south of us. So um, it's nice to have her on board, her expertise, her passion, and um, her knowledge base of um, behavioral mental health. So. I, as we transition into the 504 and IEP process, I'm going to start off with the 504 because if you ask me, that's a little more simple. Um, to get a 504 plan, it's um, basically we that we, the district, need to receive information that would allow us to establish um, that there's a significant impairment of a major life activity. That's the definition. So when that is established. Now that could be anything from ADHD to diabetes, type one diabetes. Um, that condition would need to directly impact their education, which would allow for the child to get accommodation. Um, the big difference between a 504 plan, the majority of 504 plans and an IEP is a 504 plan provides accommodations for whatever the condition is or diagnosis is that would imp impact that major life activity. Now, the IEP provides services along with that. So let's talk about the IEP for a second. In order to be established eligibility, we need evaluation components. Those evaluation components, we partner up with Mary Claire and her school psychologist crew uh, to be able to get diagnosticians, uh, we also use our teachers with intervention, depending on what the suspected disability may be. Um, once we get that data, we bring it together as an evaluation, and the team, along with the parent, determines whether the child would be eligible for one of the 14 different eligibilities um, that are available in Florida. All of this is specifically outlined in statute. So we um, we really don't make the rules around this. We follow close procedure, both with 504 and IEPs. So once that IEP is developed, we use all data, the data from the evaluation and all the data, uh, other data that it relates to that child to be able to inform the team mostly of present levels of performance. So we determine if there are any skill gaps or deficits. Uh, that data um, would drive 
goals. So if we determine that, let's say there was a reading deficit or even a speech or a language deficit, we would identify it with all the data that we have through the evaluations, and then we would go ahead and write goals. Those goals would drive service. If it was speech or language, it would be the SLP. If it was academic service, like math or reading or writing, then what we would do is have the ESE service provider, a teacher, go ahead and provide that service for students. So um, there are related services as well, which include therapies with, with counseling or, or therapeutic intervention, orientation and mobility for our kids who are blind, um, deaf interpreter service, sign language interpreters for our, our kids who are deaf or hard of hearing. So it is a wide variety of services. And I, I'm truly proud to work for Palm Beach County, honestly, with this, because um, we truly have the best interest for kids and we do the best we can to meet the individual needs of the students that we serve. So the only other plug I want to put in here is our parents who are listening with babies. Um, if you have children who are from birth to the age of two, we have a program called Early Steps out in the community. So if you think there is a delay with your child, reach out to Early Steps. Once your child turns three, we in the school system have what's called child find. And we have the responsibility to go ahead and do an intake um, and do a screening. And if there are deficits found on those screenings, then we go ahead and proceed with the evaluation that I just talked about to go through that rest of the process. So sorry for being so long-winded. Oh, that was great, Kevin. That was like a great infomercial. Now, I heard you say something about diabetes in the 504 plan. Um, now, I wanted to ask, because no one's asking questions for the teachers, so I'm going to ask one question for the teachers. Is there some type of plan in place through the district that the teachers have to say if they have diabetes or or they can't function the way that they should. Is there some type of plan for them as well in place? So we do have, so that's not specifically in my department because we're specifically student oriented, but we do have an HR department who has an ADA um, uh, department within HR who um, helps coordinate all of those services. They pretty much do the same thing we do. They pull all the data, the information in, determine what the need is and provide accommodations accordingly if that person qualifies based on the data provided. Okay. Thank you. And um, Andersley, I saw your hand yeah. up. Go ahead. I have a question. I'm sorry if I missed this. Um, you said um, the school does testing for, um, oh, um, um, how would like, how would you ask? Because I, um, like if a student is not able to go out and get psychiatric testing because of whatever reason, um, how would you bring that up to the school and let them know so they can, because um, I'm not sure if my school does that. So I want to go ahead and start the question and then I'm going to hand it off to Mary Claire so she can finish it because there are two parts to this. If you think you need an evaluation or you're suspecting you have some concerns that we want to get addressed, um, Every school has an ESE contact or ESE coordinator. That would be the person to go to. If you don't know who that person is, go to your school counselor or go to your administrator and they'll be able to guide you to that person. Um, if you ask for an evaluation, um, we have to consider it. Um, so if your school, and, and that's part of my job. So if, the, if for some reason the school is not and, and doesn't move forward on that, 
that's when you would reach out to my uh, office and I would help guide the school in making sure we did what's right. And then when it comes to any kind of psychiatric or mental health, that's what I want to defer to um, Dr. Musenic because uh, she is our expert in that category. Thanks, Kevin. You did a, you did a nice job there. Um, we do, we have um, different things. So there's medical diagnoses that may fall under 504, um, occasionally uh, needing an IEP, but a mental health diagnosis, um, we don't necessarily, um, it doesn't usually rise to the level of needing an individual education plan that, that Kevin was um, referring to. Sometimes it does, but we have lots of, um, we have lots of students that struggle and adults that struggle along a continuum of mental health. And what is so great about our programming in Palm Beach County is that um, students who are struggling or have, um, you know, precursors or, um, you know, beginning stages of, of struggling with mental health can get services without needing a diagnosis, without needing a label. They're able to get free services on their campus um, in the support they need. It, to the level that they need. And also we have um, their experts in that they're able to kind of triage a referral. And if we're not able to handle it on campus, they can certainly um, make referrals to our, uh, our community partners. We have 35 behavioral health um, agreements out with the community and they are just wonderful in terms of supporting our work. So if it's something more intense, um, we, we have those resources to refer you to as well. Hey, I see Luce, you have your hand up. Um, if, if the individual school is providing a service for a child, for, like for behavioral health, um, do they report to your department about what they're, how many people they're helping or if it's success, successful, if it's been concluded? Because we had a start for some work at one time being done with my child and it just kind of fell off. I never had like a finalization of a, ending or referring me to something else. And I didn't know if who that goes up well, to you. We do collect data. Um, we are able to um, collect data on all the students that we serve and the type of services that they have received across the district. And what should happen um, is that they would, as your services may be ending um, during the school year or at the end of the school year, it, it is a lot of those services wrap up, but if it's something that needs to continue, it's usually a referral out to the community. Um, one of those community agencies I spoke about. So it should, you know, there should be a nice warm handoff um, that should occur, but a lot of times the um, services will wind down towards the end of the year and there should be a transition period for that. But again, if you're interested in services starting this year, please reach out to the school and, and we can start those up again. All right. So I see that there's plenty of questions for the school district. Now I'm going to turn this um, turn this table. Keith, Mary Claire, Kevin, what questions do you have for the parents or the students? I'll start with that one. And, and the first one is, um, are we meeting the needs of your child? Yes. I'd say the summary to that is a definite yes. I'll just give an example of my uh, younger son who's in fifth grade um, who had a um, kind of allergies at the beginning of the week. Um, I think the frustration for me is that, well, now we know that there is a instructional continu continuity plan, so that's good. 
I do also know now that there's Google Classrooms assignments that he can find out, and maybe in the future there'll be um, cameras on. So that's really fabulous feedback. Um, I think the frustrating bit for me really is knowing that we want him to go back to school, but it takes it took us two days to get an appointment for a COVID test in order for him to go back to school. So it's unlikely that he'll go back this week, hoping that he obviously comes back with a negative um, COVID test. Um, and I think it's really just accepting that things are a little bit crazy at the moment um, and that we just have to be patient with the process. Um, but overall, very happy with, as I said, extremely happy and kudos to the team um, for keeping things afloat. Thank you, Sarah. These are some, these are some really hard, extraordinary times with the pandemic. So um, as we're all learning and growing together, right, trying to keep each other safe. And Sarah, to your to your comment about the testing and how long it's taken for COVID, the turnaround time. Um, so we are in. Um, don't tell anybody because it's a secret right now. But we are in conversations with the Department of Health. Um, so hopefully, we're going to get a site that will be exclusive for for school district employees and students of the school yeah, district. That's wonderful. So where you could go and nobody else could go to to help speed it up. But well, you just. I forgot this is streaming. Uh, all right. I'm in trouble now. Dr. Lonzo is going to be calling Cheryl, Cheryl, did you have something in Blanca? I saw yours go up. Um, Cheryl in Blanca? Yeah. I was just going to say that um, I think the school board is doing a really good job. I know you guys are in a tough, tough situation right now with DeSantis and, you know, everything that's going on, everything being thrown at you. I know you guys aren't in, in charge of transportation. That's another story. But from what I've seen so far, you guys are doing a really good job. I got to give it to you. And I had all four of my kids at home in virtual learning last year. So this year, I got to say you guys are doing good with everything that's being thrown at you. I, as a parent, appreciate it. Really, really do. I just I want to just jump in. I, I would like to hear from the students to see what it is that they all need. Uh, how can we better support you? Or is there something um, that you need that you don't have? So before we move to the students, Mary, let's give um, Blanca the, I know that she had to her, um her thing off me, but from a perspective of a parent, she has the opportunity if she wants to say, you know, Yes, um, my my sons, I have two, um, is very happy for was back in real person <laughs> for the school. Um, but what happens is the one parent have a COVID positive and they uh, need to uh, take quarantine or what? I don't know what is the next step. You know, not have COVID, but the parent have COVID. Mm -hmm. What is the so how long did how long do they have to stay home for? Is that what you're asking? Yes, yes. Is, is staying home uh two weeks or is negative the, the test for the for the child uh go back to the school and because uh, have a full vaccination or staying home uh even see is a, a full vac vaccination. 
Yeah. So your that situation is the probably the most frustrating one, um, and we get all the time because the the stay home time is much much longer um, when there's uh, COVID in the same household, and that that quarantining time is really handled um, by the Department of Health. So we work closely with them to to get the exact date of when you can return because the incubation period when you live with somebody who's positive and if 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 they're not quarantined off so um and and they're being exposed constantly it's a completely different um time frame can vary greatly and this is where department of health has individuals contract tracers that would call and interview the family to find out what the exact date but it could be two weeks you know it could be in some cases it could possibly be even longer uh so it's it's a frustrating um the most difficult date to figure out okay and the, and the second question is is this the case the child is in the house but is no no have a, the only online classes only have the the um, the, the work for the homework but not have the presential uh, class with the teacher because no have online classes uh, is a problem because maybe the test is not good for the child, the grace is not good because it's staying in the home, not take classes, but take the, te the test and take the home homework. Yes, we're trying to work on that um, and completely understand, uh, Blanca, what you're saying. It is not the best situation at all. So we're working with the teachers union um, to hopefully come up with a better solution um, very soon on that. But thank you for expressing okay. that. Okay, concern. thank you. All right. So thanks for the questions, Blanca, and then answering those questions. But back to your question, Mary. What were you going to ask the students? Oh, I just I, I was looking for some feedback from the students. I love to hear from students and their perspective about um, what we can do to help support them and and what they might need in addition to what um, has already been put in place for them. If there is anything we, we'd love to hear. Um, I did want to bring up the um, mental health chats that we have in school. Um, I just wanted to, um, in meetings I've been with students, um, they haven't been, um, like there, there are, um, they show what they need to show, but at the same time, um, it doesn't really go in depth of what may happen to a student who's bullied or <laughs> what, um, challenges someone's maybe facing. Like, um, I was saying, um, Maybe from a young age, students should be exposed to things like ADHD and and like um, people with it and the neurodivergency of like other kids because so that when they see something, it's not like that kid has to mask and hide what they're doing to help them pay attention or to help them do this and focus in school and do what they have to do. Um, they should look at that and be like, oh, that's normal that like this person is so. That's one thing from a young age that um person should um the kids should be able to see and be exposed to things like that so that they know like that's fine, that's okay for this person to do. Um another thing is um the talks about 
depression, anxiety, and things like that, um, there's a lot of confusion and cloudiness around, like, especially middle school kids. Um, in middle school, I had the impression that I had bipolar disorder because all the kids were telling me I'm, like, moody. So it was like, I was like, oh, my gosh, like, what? But, and the whole time, it was like, it's because they think it's one thing that it's completely, and it's completely another. So it's like, I think we should be exposed to these like different like um mental health like blockades and like they should um tell us like hey anxiety and being scared these are the differences um depression and sadness these are the differences because it can really create confusion and um yeah um what bullying can lead to is another thing um because I feel like sometimes people like oh this person will be sad this person but um there's so much bullying that's like um they don't understand that what this person may be going through at home so um yeah and I guess one more thing is that um I was in a my PE class they were talking about stress is something else is um they use that as like a happy thing like stress can lead you to studying but I don't think that um, stress should be put in a good light. Um, stressing into studying could lead you to um, stress eating, um, staying up all night because over that test that you're stressing over. Um, I think instead we should tell them um, to have find coping, coping mechanisms um, so that they can be able to take these tests without stress and they should be like calm and yeah. So mostly that, mostly like mental health is my concern. Yeah. Anderson, you, you, you said it so well. You are very insightful for sure. Thank yes, you. you are. So we, we would like, um, we're working really hard to destigmatize mental health and the concerns around mental health and also educate students about mental health. And we do have a curriculum from um, grades six to 12 that has a number of different components and in part of that curriculum is explaining um, some of the differences that people feel and and really what the definitions of like what's the difference between sadness and and versus depression and, and things like that so um but it, it definitely there needs to be more education around um, mental health and we're working really hard to get the word out uh where we look for uh, leaders like yourself for sure to um you know to help us out with that work but you, you obviously are, you know, um, very uh, insightful and intelligent and uh, well-spoken. So thank you. Uh, and Enzo, I'd like to ask you if you had something as, as well. Um, I would say that like the, the atmosphere at school, like starting school up was very like, um, like you could hear a pin drop in the school. And I don't know how you guys would help with that, but that's something that would, that like, I feel like some people would like be stressful because it's the atmosphere is so tense that they think that if they do something wrong, it would just like blow up or something like that. Well, you did, you did say something earlier um, that, that I thought was excellent in terms of um, it was kind of a, a, a slower week uh, than typical for a start of a school year and the teachers were more understanding and and really kind of getting everybody settled in so i think that's so important 
But what you're feeling is that that anxiety that um, Anthony had spoken about earlier is everyone's anxious. Teachers are anxious. Students are anxious. And that's that's normal under the circumstances. That's normal. And I think as we settle into the school year, um, that level of anxiety will lessen. And, you know, people will get used to interacting and, and know the expectations. And, and that's going to take time. But I, I'm very hopeful that that's that will happen quickly. Um, I wanted to add on one more thing that you might want to take into consideration is um, the um, mental health talks being spoken about in a communication matter rather. I mean, like I, the PowerPoints are good so they can help stay on track, but um, also like something like this where, where students are able to openly talk about um, things they have questions about and it doesn't have to be like so broad. It, you can go like, it, they can, teachers can show that they aren't afraid to delve deeper into different meanings behind things. So yeah, I just want everyone to be like inclusive and um, if they have questions, because I know some kids are scared to ask. I used to be, and now here I am in front of you guys. So, um, yeah, yeah, I just want um, students to be able to yeah, just get like their questions answered incorrectly because it's the incorrect and false like teachings that mess everything up and had me thinking I was bipolar. You are absolutely right about that. We want people to feel comfortable to talk about mental health and and the issues that they're having, but adults get uncomfortable too. And you may be seeing some teachers who are uncomfortable with the subject. So it's education for parents. It's education um, for our teachers. It's education for our students. It's everybody. It's not just the students. We all have to work together on that. And I think that's enough. We need to hire Andersley. Sorry, go ahead. No, I was saying, I think we need to hire her. Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. Yes. But on, on the uh, subject of anxiety, I think there's enough anxiety to go all around. Parents are, in, uh, are anxious, communities are anxious, states are anxious. So the anxiety is it's all around us. Do you have any tips or, or suggestions for parents mechanism. that are um, working with their children through this process of anxiety and stress um, that you can share with us? I know a lot of parents might be interested in hearing that. Yes. Absolutely. I think um, having a structure and routine at home is really important. Uh, you know, making sure that your uh, child has enough sleep. I know things were a little crazy with sleep schedules and, and things when um, it was remote learning and, and everyone was kind of, um, you know, home for the duration. But it's really important that, that, um, that children have enough sleep so that they have a um, cognitive reserve so that they're ready to learn. So um, sleep is really important. The structure, so they know what to expect and that helps with that sleep, sleep routine. Also um, be open-minded uh, and non-judgmental when your son or daughter are talking about how they're feeling about, you know, if they're feeling some sort of way about being on a bus, going to school, um, being involved in activities, they, I'm sure they're having some um, social anxiety as well because they haven't been interacting with their peers uh, as much for a while. So um, instead of kind of saying, oh, it's okay, you know, it's gonna be, it's gonna be fine, which is encouraging, you, you wanna kind of take a step back and ask them how they're feeling and why they might be feeling that way and, and truly listening. And, and that will um, certainly make a difference. And because uh, as parents, I'm a parent, I have two grown boys, 
I, I am the mom, the cheerleader who says, oh, it's okay. It's okay. It's going to work out. Don't worry. We're going to power through. Um, but I always have to remind myself as well. It's, you, you know, just listen to their perspective. You may not agree with it, uh, but it's important to hear them out. And that will, when they, when they feel listened to, that will really reduce their anxiety. Leah, those are great points on both ends. Um, and it's, it's cool to hear that that program does exist now and there are efforts because I don't think that was there when I was in school. I don't even remember us talking about mental health, behavioral health, um, making that, making sure that it wasn't a stigma. So it's like hearing that those efforts are there. That's a beautiful thing. Well, we, re we really have to thank the, um, the community and the people of Palm Beach County who voted for the referendum dollars to allow us to hire the support. Um, that was referendum money that was voted on and has been put to, um, you know, just great use in terms of uh, providing uh, mental health support on every single one of our school campuses. While you're speaking on funding and since we're there, does every school receive the same amount of funding? And if not, can you explain how the dollars are allocated? Oh, that's a good question. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I'm going to turn my camera off now. Up, um, <laughs> <laughs> so I've been with the district for 28 years. I'm still trying to figure out. No, I'm just kidding. So all schools receive a base student allocation that's equal like across, but then there's different funding sources um, that are added on. So. Kevin talked about, you know, uh, special education. So there's additional funding and uh, that will go to those schools. How we, but we don't necessarily give the dollars to schools. We use formulas that are really driven about how many teachers the schools would earn based on enrollment, based on special programs. Um, if I'm an English language learner, so I speak another language, there may be additional support and funding that goes to a school. Um, also, um, depending on a school, um, free and reduced lunch uh, applications um, and percentages, uh, there's, uh, you probably heard of what's called Title I funding. There is where schools will get dollars that they can convert and use for additional teaching units. They may use it for professional development. Um, some of that's used for uh, parent involvement. Uh, activities, uh, things like that. Um, uh, so uh, at high school, there's incentive and funding um, when kids take uh, AP classes, ACE classes, IB classes. When students um, pass those uh, 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 tests, there's additional funding that will be go back to a school where they can buy additional supports at a school level. Um, and then there's funding that, you know, we, us, we at the district will provide um, in unique situations that a school might just need uh, additional positions for a variety of reasons. So um, it can get quite complicated, um, but that's the, you know, I think two minute version uh, of how it is. If there's a uh, more specific question, I'll be, we can try to answer those as well. Yeah, that those, you brought up great points. Um, I can ask I can ask a lot of questions just from what you just brought up, especially 
talking about how the funding is allocated based off the foreign you know because I was in I was in the IB program for some time um, at Atlantic when I went to school and we always heard this thing that you know you go to a school that has IB programs you get more funding because if they pass their test and it's it they get the more accolades and then you essentially the school is getting more funding but a lot of that's because of the the, the programs that exist there. Um, it may not always be the best for the overall population. Um, the formulas may not be best for determining if everyone's getting the essential help that they need um, because IB programs are essentially in different parts. They're not necessarily in like lower income areas, um, but that's a whole, that, that can be a whole other set of questions. But I do have another question from Facebook. Um, we're going to take it back to the mental health really quick. Oh, that, um, that Blanca had a question. Get her. Oh, Blanca, go ahead. Um, I have a question. Um, what is the resources for em emotional health for the children, Hispanic children? Because the parents need uh, uh, some person uh, talk about, you know, like a therapist, Hispanic or bilingual that was my question actually talking about the the help that's specifically set aside for people who are from different ethnicities specifically hispanics because that's a i think that's a big part of our community in palm beach county um and also haitian americans but specifically hispanics first but yeah great question blanca Absolutely. We are always looking to recruit um, additional staff that uh, that is bilingual and multilingual. Um, currently, we have a, a, we're just very fortunate. We have a very diverse staff. So um, we have a number of mental health professionals that speak Haitian Creole, um, Spanish. Uh, we have a few that have some other languages. We even have Hebrew. So. Um, we're very, very fortunate in that we have um, highly diverse staff, especially um, as it pertains to the school behavioral health professionals. There's one at each school. Um, they're, they're different. The, the principal hires them at the school um, and they're school-based, but we, we really strive um, to make sure that we have diverse mental health professionals to serve a community for sure. And we and most of our um, our schools that have majority uh, Hispanic population, we do add a a bicultural uh, uh, school counselor on those campuses. So um, so they're they uh, particularly usually they're Spanish, as uh, Mary Claire said. Uh, we do have some that are Haitian Creole. So if you go to your uh, school principal, you can ask about those um, supports. Um, and I think very clear also the agencies that are on our school campuses um, and many of them have staff as well that have specific training. So uh, some of the schools that were mentioned earlier have agencies that we partner with that are housed right on your school campus. So you can ask your school principal or school counselor about those type of services and support. And we do try and match up if we have a largely Hispanic population. Um, at a particular school, we try and match um, a bilingual uh, Spanish-speaking 
counselor or mental health professional for that campus. So we we do look at that data. We try hard to make those matches, but um, it's 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 hard. Not there's um, we need more people uh, in the mental health field um, from diverse backgrounds. I believe we have a question in the chat from Sarah. Yeah, no, I, I mean, I have to ask this. Um, I'm just so, it's just so lovely to see um, our, all our teachers respond in such positive ways the whole time and show so much care for our children. And this is, you know, much more so um, throughout this pandemic. And, and I just think it must be taking its toll on our teachers. And I, I suppose I'm interested in how are we looking after their mental health or their emotional wellness? Because just as much as they care for our children, we care for them too. We do have, um, we have someone who oversees that, um, Carly um, Fabricant, and she's, she's fabulous. She's been really looking at the programming for teachers and staff. Um, not only do we have our employee assistance program, which provides um, counseling sessions, up to six free counseling sessions per issue, per person. Um, so if you can have multiple issues throughout the year, but it's, it's free and available both in-person and teletherapy. But um, she's put on a series of events uh, for staff, uh, teachers, district staff, uh, leaders uh, to attend. And as a matter of fact, we had one yesterday. It was on wellness and how to deal with stress and, and what we can do uh, to, for ourselves and for our families so that um, you know, the adult is, is feeling good so that we can support not only our families at home, but also um, the work in schools. So that's been, that has definitely been front and center for us this year as well. And our employees have a number that they can call um, an employee assistance plan for free um, counseling and support as well. But you're right. I, I, there's not a person you talk to that has, has not felt some kind of loss or gone through some kind of stress, um, all of us. So I think what's most important um, is that we all recognize that and show empathy and support. And I think um, Andersley kind of talked about that. How do we, you know, not bully and not, you know, but really just be compassionate and supportive to each other, knowing that we're all going through this together. That's exactly what I was going to say, Keith. I think the best thing we, best thing we can do for our teachers is to be kind, appreciate them, show gratitude. Um, these are public servants. These are people who want to help. They signed up for it. Um, so be nice to them. Be kind. If there are issues, they're used to addressing issues. Be kind and addressing it with them. So I think that simple task there is, will help a lot of our employees as, as things are, are a bit tense at the moment. Before we start to wind down a little bit, I want to talk a little bit about um, the, some of the programs or initiatives that have been created to help minorities become more successful in the classroom? So um, I'll start where we left off a minute ago about um, TK was talking about the IB program. So we've been taking a very um, uh, concerted effort to, to look at what we call the master board. So a student schedule. So typically, um, uh, the majority of students who are in our acceleration courses, such as IB in those, are majority white. So how do we make a concerted effort to make sure that um, students of color 
uh, our black students or Hispanic students are getting enrolled into those courses and the supports they need to be successful. So we've had like double digit uh, gains in enrollment um, and monitoring the performance. So we know that students who take those type of courses um, are, are more likely to go on to college um, and just be more successful. So those are uh, one of the big efforts that we're taking. We're also trying to, and Kevin can speak to some of this, expand our gifted program. So if we look at elementary, a universal screening um, uh, and Mary Claire, both were all involved in that project. So a universal screener in second grade. So um, uh, not, you know, typically what you'll see are parents who navigate the systems better to go and get their kid tested for gifted, but we know that um, all kids come with uh, giftedness. And how do we bring that out? So universal screener, get more kids in the early grades into these gifted programming that will change um, the type of courses they're gonna end up taking. Uh, Mary Claire, Kevin, you wanna add anything else on the programming side of that? Um, no, you covered it. Is that, Rosa, did I answer your question? You did, thank you so much. Mm -hmm. And I see that Andersley have her hand up before we uh, start to wrap up. Go ahead, Andersley. Yeah, um, I wanted to ask about um, how, um, well, not really ask, but I wanted to talk about how um, students in the IB program and um, AP tend to get more conversations about college and um, how to apply and things like that. And I wanted to make sure that I bring up the fact that um, the regular students also, um, most of us want to go to college as well. And um, we don't really get as much support as the IB students do and the AP students. And um, I think it would be best if that was more of a thing around the whole school and all the students rather than um, just IB. Um, and they push students to also go to college and regular classes as well, because sometimes it takes a push to tell a student, hey, maybe you would do well in college. Maybe you should test it out. Like you never know until you try. And um, if they don't get that, it's more of a, when I'm done with school, I'm done with school. I'm just going to get a job and try. And like, yeah. So I think that would be good to, instead of just focusing around IB, we go out to all the schools and, um, tell them how what um the steps of applying and how to maintain your stress when yeah. applying to those schools and things like that so that is great feedback yeah, it should you. not just be yeah. the IB classes and the AP classes and ACE classes it needs to be all the classes so um, I appreciate you bringing that up so we're going to have to definitely take that feedback to ensure we put some systems in place so that all kids um get that um understanding of how to go through those process that process of applying for college and that yes everybody has that potential to do well and should be uh, applying if that's so what they want go ahead enzo um i also have um so i was in the ace program and stuff and it all i feel like it's very stress inducing obviously because your everything lies on these two exams that you have but i feel like um once, if you don't pass the exams, you basically wasted the year because you don't get the credit. And I don't know if the school could do something to help recover those credits, kind of like an ingenuity thing, but for ACE to be able to take the, the, the exam in November, like have like programs that students can sign up 
like boot camps and stuff to help those students not having lost a whole year working really hard to just fail the exam at the end of the year. So passing the ACE exam doesn't, so passing the course, you still get the credit. So, and there is ingenuity and options like that for not passing a course, but the actual exam itself, I don't want you to think it's a waste because clearly the school puts you in that, in that class because they see that you are college level material. It's just, you know, it's just how do we get you more support so you can be successful? Yeah. So um, absolutely, we'll have to do a better job with that. So, but there should be, an, um, so talk to your principal about credit recovery if you didn't pass the actual course. Um, so the ingenuity and things like that should be available for you. Oh no, like, like the um, course, like the class, it's very easy to pass. You don't have to worry about passing the class, but I'm talking about the college credit yeah the college credit yeah so they yeah they typically don't have makeups on those kind um so if you didn't get the score to get the college credit um i don't believe i have to check on that so it's good feedback if you i think you can clep it right uh kevin or Mary Claire? so they yeah um, i have to check on that good question before you close out, Rose, I just want to bring up the fact that what Enzo and Andersley are bringing up are, like, that's real. Yeah. Because I remember that in school. Like, it's, I definitely remember that in school because I made a transition from IB and ended up going to honors after. And, like, the focus on college education and continuing education after high school, completely different like completely different. The focus, the, the consistent conversations, the, the work that's put in front of you, the, the support, even the support in continuing your education after high school is completely different from the IB program, from even the honors program to people that are in regular courses. It's like the, and I think the, some of that conversation comes from the, the teachers and what the teachers focus on. Um, what the teachers are essentially paid to do as far as making sure that the people are passing the you know, passing tests, the emphasis on different tests, the emphasis on college applications, like it's completely different. So it's like to hear that that's a thing, you know, even years later where it's like, I mean, that's it's real. It's definitely real. So getting the chance to get that feedback, I think is key for the district because like they know firsthand because they're there, you know? That's all. Right. So are there any other final thoughts before we leave this great couch? I know some of us, we were on couches and some were not, and it's okay. Go ahead, Kevin. <laughs> I just have one plug. Um, we do have the ESE Parent University. Uh, we do trainings for parents monthly. We do it in English, Spanish, and Haitian Creole. Um, our next one is September 18th. We're going to be covering understanding ESC services, also IEP and 504 accommodations. So um, if your child has an IEP or 504 plan, we'll reach out to them directly, um, either through a robocall or text in your native language. Um, and uh, if not, we are partnering up with 211 to get the information out to everybody because we do want to build the capacity of understanding in our parents. 
so we can better support our kids together. All right. So since Kevin is making plugs and putting in plugs, I'm going to put in a plug too tonight. So Be Well PBC is launching a podcast. So all of you in the listening audience and here on this screen tonight, you need to follow Be Well PBC because guess what? Podcast is coming and we want you to know that you will be on one. How about that? (laughs) Are there any more remarks, any more final thoughts, anything before we actually get out of here tonight? And if not, no hands going up. I just want to say thank you to everybody. Yeah, thank you. Thank you, everyone. Thank you. All right. Thank you, guys. So with all of the thank yous, what is one thing that you will take with you tonight from this conversation? Um, I can go first. Um, um, One thing I'll take with me is um, a different mindset about the the whole headquarters. Um, Yeah. Thank you for taking into consideration. Um, I usually tell you guys just brush things off. I was always like, oh my gosh. But yeah, (laughs) Um, now I understand and I see that you are trying to. Thank you for that. Um, BUL PVC has an awesome thing going. So thank you so much for facilitating and putting this together so that we can all be on our couches talking to one another and bringing things to awareness. Thank you. Awesome. I have to say, Anders Lee and Enzo are great models of self-advocacy, self-determination. You both have a good, promising future, bright future in front of you. So thank you so much for advocating the way you did tonight. Thank you. I just want to say thank you for taking the time out to answer our questions. It's been really, you know, interesting and educational to see what's actually going on from your end. And I want to also say thank you for your dedication to our children throughout this whole period. It's been difficult and it continues to be challenging, but we know that we have you doing what you're doing. Uh, I couldn't do what you do. So thank you. Thank you for for your time. Thank you for hearing all questions about the, the children, the Hispanic people, the old people. Thank you so much. Thank you to the connectors as well. Uh, as you guys said, you kept it real and definitely, as you said, Rose, raw. So I uh, appreciate that. <laughs> all right. Give yourselves a round of applause. Thank you all for coming. It was great. This was great conversation, great feedback. And you all enjoy the rest of your evening. Good night. Be well, PBC. Good night, everyone. <laughs> Be well. Stay safe. Be well. <laughs> stay safe. I <laughs> 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 <laughs>